One of the really kind of cornerstone examples of drops to be done is with milkshake sales. So one of his colleagues who he was working on it with was hired with for a franchise to figure out how to increase milkshake sales. They had tried everything under the sun of like changing the consistency to the texture, adding new flavors, adding new sizes, you know, like all sorts of different value props. And so he came in and really tried to understand, okay, well, who's buying these milkshakes and what time are they buying at? And, right. and what are they buying? Like, how are they drinking it? Where are they drinking it? When are they drinking it? And what he found actually was that the, the people who were buying most of the milkshakes, I think it was about 80% of their sales were commuters. Okay. Um, they were buying it in the morning on their commute into San Francisco because there's a bunch of traffic, right? Mm. So they bought a milkshake because it was clean, right? It, it wasn't like a bagel or like something you, know, you kind of had to eat and it was messy, right? You can kind right. of just sip on it. Yeah. But also it wasn't like a soda drink where just kind of like you can take five sips and it's gone. It has a thick consistency and it lasts. Um, and it tastes good and it's pretty cheap, right? You can go through the drive-through on their commute. And so then they changed their marketing to actually make the consistency thicker. And they marketed it in a way that appealed to commuters of like, you know, hey, grab a milkshake on your way to work or wow. drive-through, you'll be in and out for five minutes. And milkshake sales finally went up, right? They created kids versions because that appeased their kids. So once you figure out, you know, what the job is that people are hiring your product for, then it can really help you change the way that you do marketing to better align with how people are wanting to use it, right? And what value they're actually getting out of it. Um, right. And that was one of the really kind of foundational, like light bulb moments for me in understanding what marketing actually is. You know, it's not just putting stuff out, it's not just tweeting, it's not just, you know, getting attention, but mm. it's bringing your product into the world in a way that they can receive it and understand it and understand how to use it and how it's gonna add value to their life. Hi, just a quick request. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to write a review and leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts because it helps us climb the charts and reach more listeners like yourself. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Cody, for doing this. And for those of us who don't know you, tell us who you are. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on. In short, I am now the creator of Swipe Files, which is a membership site for marketers and entrepreneurs focused on helping marketers do the best work. Previously, I was the head of growth at Bear Metrics for almost two years. Before that, the first marketing hire at a startup here in San Diego, where I'm based, called Cordial. I've created a few things, a couple of courses, as well as a job board, just for marketers called Hey Marketers along the way. And yeah, but now focusing full-time on Swipe Files, you know, writing teardowns, creating guides, curating a community of marketers, entrepreneurs. Right. And I was looking at your blog and there is this one post where you uh, talk about a day when you were going to a trip with your friends and that day changed your life sort of because you were planning to go to do finance and accounting. And then you sort of realized that there was this entire world of entrepreneurship and people creating things and making their own path. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was in high school, I sort of latched on the, to this idea of going into accounting and finance because I didn't, really didn't know what else interested me. Like I knew I didn't want to do sales and I knew that I didn't, I wasn't really like into sort of operations and administration, but I, I was sort of interested in the numbers. And I'd also read that one accounting and finance were like some of the highest paid sort of majors 
So that was interesting at the time, as well as it was sort of, you know, the language of business. So I was like, oh, I mean, I can't go wrong with this whole accounting and finance thing. And I had a couple of ideas of like, maybe I'll be a financial advisor or maybe I'll be, a, you know, something like that. Anyways, got into accounting and finance, realized that I didn't like it really at all. And then I was spending all my time thinking about new businesses, e-commerce, growing those businesses and really realized that marketing was sort of the thing that I was most interested in. I wasn't interested in sales, but I was really interested in marketing uh, and getting the word out growing a business and sort of that seemed like the closest thing, you know, to entrepreneurship. So I, I basically switched my major when I switched co colleges to marketing and then, but yeah, it was really on that trip when I was 18, I was, I was right after high school and right when I was sort of the thick of it, uh, of starting this whole kind of accounting and finance path that I was talking with a friend and he, when I was telling him what I wanted to do, he was kind of like, no, oh, that's it. Like anything <laughs> else. And um, so it really challenged me to think outside of the box and really think like, you know, do I want a very, you know, standard life in accounting and finance and working long hours or do I want to go out and do my own thing and sort of, you know, maybe start a business one day and, and that kind of got the ball rolling to think about possibly switching later and eventually it gave me the courage to go down this path that I'm on now. Right. And when you say you got interested in marketing, were you reading books or reading stories of other marketers or blogs that got you interested? It was really listening to getting into entrepreneurship that kind of led into marketing. So I was listening to podcasts like Mixergy. At the time I was living like way out in the boonies here in San Diego and I was commuting to school and to work and I was working a couple of jobs. And so I was like constantly driving. Basically I would drive like I'll be in the car like three or four hours a day. So I spent all that time oh. listening to podcasts and audiobooks. And so I was listening to, to Mixergy a lot. And a lot of the go those guys, you know, were talking about marketing and had a lot of marketers on there talk to um and then i was reading books you know like four hour work week by tim ferris yeah and he, it you know a lot of that was marketing you know it's like selling sort of the his first business was you know drop shipping the the supplements and how it was kind of like all automated he didn't need to be on the calls with people and i was like that sounds closer to kind of like the life that i want you know right like basically being able to scale something and not have to be talking with people all day long essentially to convince them one by one so yeah, it was really all the, all the driving and all the podcasts. I was reading some books, mainly, you know, books like on entrepreneurship, but I, I would say it's mostly kind of the podcast that got me on this whole track in marketing from, from Mixergy going to e-commerce fuels, another big one at the time I was really interested in e-commerce. And then from there, as I kind of started piecing it together, like I think marketing is more what I'm interested in. Yeah. And what was your first job out of college? And when did you start your first serious side project? Yeah. So my first job out of college was uh, at Cordial, the startup here in San Diego. The story was that it was my last semester of college and I wanted to propose to my girlfriend and oh. sort of the terms when I, when I asked for her parents, you know, permission was that I needed to have something lined up for when I graduated. They wanted me to have you know, a salary essentially. Mm. And so I was like, okay, shoot. Well, then I need to go find an internship that could, you know, possibly turn into uh, a full-time job. Right. And so I hit yep. the, hit the books, hit the internet, hit the phones, started applying left and right. 
Well, I actually had a pretty promising interview with one company that was working with e-commerce brands to help them sell on Amazon. So I okay. took the phone interview in between classes. And then when he found out that I was still in school, he hung up on me. So then I <laughs> immediately went back to class, spent the whole rest of the class looking at new job positions. And I found Cordial, which was for, which was for a junior marketing intern position okay. and applied in class, had an interview that Thursday, got the job on Thursday, and then proposed to my girlfriend on Saturday. And, wow. <laughs> uh, and then three months later, I got hired on full-time as the first official kind of marketing hire at the company. Great. And when did you start your side project? Yeah. So the first serious side project I would say was probably Hey Marketers. And that was about maybe like four or five months into working at Bear Metrics, mm. where basically I had a conversation with one of the Bearmetrics customers who was looking to hire someone like me. And he was like, Hey, where, you know, where do I post this? Like what kind of job boards do you pay attention to? So I was telling him, Oh, you can post it on these remote job boards. And he would say, well, it's not a remote job. And I'd say, well, you can post it on LinkedIn. He said, we already did. We didn't find anyone. And he was like, man, if I really had the time, I would build a job board for marketers. Like, it's just like impossible to find people like you. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. Like, I'm going to go build that. Give me a couple of weeks and you can be my first customer. <laughs> and so that's what I did. Then I just kind of figured out how to build a job board without code and produce Hey Marketers, got him to post, backfilled a bunch of jobs, posted it on Product Hunt. And then ever since then, it's been kind of humming. You know, it's, it's a little bit difficult because it's, it's a marketplace model where there's, you know, supply side and demand side. So you have right. to do two different types of marketing for two different types of people. But it's hummed along and... That was probably my first, you know, serious money generating side project that I had. So which year are we talking about with Hey Marketers? Hey Marketers was 2019. Right. Early 2019. It's, it's interesting because I talked to Pete from No CS Degree. I don't know if you know him, but yep. he has this website called No CS Degree. He interviews people who don't have a CS degree and he has a boot camp board and a job board as well. And uh, on Product Hunt, I've seen maybe 20, 25 different job boards. And it got me thinking, uh, if you have all these different kinds of job boards and say you're building a job board today, how do you differentiate that from other job boards? And you talked about the chicken and egg problem where you have to bring in companies who are looking for people and then you have to bring in people who are looking for jobs. How do you tackle these two problems? Yeah, the the, the job board... I mean, I think that the whole premise needs to, you have to have some sort of unique angle or differentiator for Hey Marketers. It was literally like there, it was only for marketing. You know, a lot of the other job boards out there were like, you know, marketing and sales were together or it was like on a remote job board. So it's kind of just like one little corner of the job board. So Hey Marketers was the first and only job board dedicated to just marketers, right? Mm -hmm. For anyone else considering building a job board, you need to have something unique about it, you know, whether it's your city, the types of jobs that you're looking at, you know, whether it's marketing or sales or machine learning or, you know, engineering jobs without a computer science degree, right? That's kind of one angle. So right. you have to have some sort of unique angle. And I think you also need to have some sort of unique, like distribution or connection to the community. And this really gets into kind of the chicken and egg problem. The only reason why I've been able to be successful with Hey Marketers is because I am a marketer and I know a bunch of marketers and right. I have, you know, everything that I tweet about, write about, produce 
is all about marketing. If I was trying to bootstrap a, a job board for engineering, or maybe let's just say something like something different, like customer success, I would be starting from scratch, right? And then it's difficult because you'd have to go and backfill a bunch of jobs. You'd have to go get to know a bunch of people hiring for customer success. You have to mm-hmm. go get to know a bunch of people who may be looking for a new customer success job. And then you have to sort of get them subscribed, get them to post, get them you know, to come back to the site. Whereas for me, it was sort of just like a, a natural extension of what I was already doing. And so it's fairly easy for me to quickly, you know, reach out to a couple of people and say, Hey, are you hiring for anyone right now? Feel free to post it on the site. When I saw postings on LinkedIn and Twitter, I would DM or I'd email and say, Hey, saw you're hiring for this job. I have a job board just for marketers. I know, you know, I can post it in Slack communities. I can send it out to the newsletter. But I think it's really, you know, for every marketplace model, you have to sort of kickstart and bootstrap the supply side. So I started with just backfilling a bunch of jobs and then making it a post or a pay what you want model just to get people sort of in the door. But then once you have enough demand side, if people subscribe, people come into the site, traffic, you can kind of charge whatever you want. You can do whatever model that you want because then, you know, you have what the job poster wants, which is an audience to syndicate to. Yeah. And uh, what, so you have Haymarketers on the side. When did you begin your next site project? Yeah, the next side project was I started thinking about it in October of last year, actually, oh. where I launched a marketers and I was kind of, you know, I had sort of automated some parts of it, but I was also, you know, looking to do kind of add to my portfolio and get a couple of kind of reps in before the end of the year. Mm. And so, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to do a course. I just didn't really know what yet. And then by the time Halloween rolled around, I was freaking out because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get this out in time by the end of the year. And like, I really wanted to do it by the end of the year. So I looked through my notes. I was like, what's a simple idea I can create a course around that, again, maybe is related to marketing or something that I can kind of easily plug into. And I had written down an idea for mental models for marketing because I had already built like this big kind of curated list of frameworks and mental models and principles and sort of quick ideas about how to evaluate things and make decisions and shared it with a couple of people and tweeted about it a few times and it seemed to have some interest. So I was like, you know what? I just need to put a deadline on this. So I think it was November 3rd of last year. I tweeted out that, or maybe the 4th actually, that I was going to be launching a course and I built a really quick landing page on card. And I yeah. said, if you're interested, you can sign up here to get notified. Also on the email list, I'll be sending out a special discount to get half off. And then I set a public deadline to launch it by December 3rd. That way I would just kind of like, you know, put a fire under my butt to really get this thing done. (laughs) And that's what happened. And so it was kind of just like in a whirlwind and a split split second decision where I decided I was going to launch it. And then just started writing the content, asking what people would want, you know, extracting ideas from my sort of file that I had of all these frameworks and principles, and -hmm. then sitting down and producing the course. Can you talk a little bit about those frameworks and the mental models for marketing? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it was a game changer. The reason why I started collecting was because I realized, you know, I was always starting from scratch. I was always kind of reinventing the wheel. It was like every new, uh, new strategy, new channel, new tactic. I just had no idea how to evaluate it, where to start. But also like I, I wanted to accelerate my career. And I knew that I had to think, be able to think more strategically, you know, be able to 
plan and have vision and evaluate and sort of allocate, you know, budget or resources to something. And I just had no idea how to think about that. So I started reading up and sort of doing research on, you know, these different mental models and these different principles and frameworks and, you know, reading books like Influenced by Robert uh, Caldini, reading books, you know, like copywriting books, uh, just reading articles and sort of doing research. And so I compiled this whole thing. And that this was actually when I was at Cordial and started doing this. And that really allowed me to sort of like take a step outside of myself, see things more objectively and then be more strategic. So that's what allowed me to really start to specialize when I was at Cordial from just doing, you know, being the first marketer, kind of doing everything to specializing more into content marketing and inbound marketing and partnership marketing. Cause I figured mm-hmm. though that's really what was going to make the most impact based on, again, all these sort of things I had built up to, to be able to see things as they were. So yeah, I mean, that was a game changer. So that's why I, I picked it for the course was because I figured like, if there's one thing that would really like change someone's career as a marketer, it would be getting back to the timeless principles and frameworks. Because everyone talks about, you know, growth hacks, the latest kind of fads or right. tricks or tips, but no one really goes back to what are the things that are literally never going to change about human psychology, persuasion, you know, what's interesting, how to make something enticing. Right. And, uh, and so once I did that, I figured, okay, now I can take this with me for the rest of my career and I'm going to give it to other people as well. Right. Can you give one example, one specific example about a growth strategy that you made depending on the frameworks on those mental models? A growth strategy that I made depending on Um, Or say you said right now that you decided that content was the one thing that was going to create the most impact. How did you come to that conclusion using mental models? Yeah, it was really around the principle of once I understood sort of who we were marketing to and at course, it was kind of interesting because I was marketing to marketers at different companies or at at e-commerce brands, right? So like big D to C brands or sort of mid-market enterprise, even sometimes, but all sort of in a retail space. And when I really understood, you know, that that's who that we were, we were speaking to and that there was a big gap in the market for, for content, you know, we were doing a lot of outbound marketing at that time. It was all kind of, you know, pushing essentially. We were doing outbound email. We were showing up at events. We were, you know, basically going to them. And I realized that what would make things interesting or more easy would be to bring people to us to do more kind of pull marketing and content. We weren't doing anything with SEO, right? We weren't doing anything with sort of inbound marketing with putting content out there that was shareable. And so that's kind of a, you know, zig when he's like, I wouldn't say it's like directly tied to a mental model or a framework, but it, it was knowing those things allowed me to take a step back and say, you know, what is it that's really going to be impactful for us to make things easier, you know, as a marketer. I'll give you an example of one of the ways that really kind of changed the way that we did things and sort of how I thought about it was the jobs to be done framework. So this guy, Clayton Christensen, if you're not familiar, he's a Harvard sort of professor. He just passed away recently, but he was an amazing guy and one of the really foundational marketers. And he was working on this sort of theory and this idea around jobs to be done that people hire products just like they hire other people to do jobs for them, right? It's like, okay. I need someone to do marketing. Well, I'm going to hire someone for that. Well, we also hire 
objects and uh, things and services just like we would for people, right? So like, what do I hire this soda can for, right? Or what do I hire this computer for? What do I hire this car for, right? I hire the car to get me from point A to point B. I hire the computer to help me do my best work. I hire the soda can to give me some pleasure in the middle of the day because I need a little bit of relief and something you know interesting. Mm. One of the really kind of cornerstone examples of jobs to be done is with milkshake sales. So one of his colleagues who he was working on it with was hired with for a franchise to figure out how to increase milkshake sales. They had tried everything under the sun of like changing the consistency to the texture, adding new flavors, adding new sizes, you know, like all sorts of different value props. And so he came in and really tried to understand, okay, well, who's buying these milkshakes and what time are they buying at? And, right. and what are they buying? Like, how are they drinking it? Where are they drinking it? When are they drinking it? And what he found actually was that the, the people who were buying most of the milkshakes, I think it was about 80% of their sales were commuters. Okay. Um, they were buying it in the morning on their commute into San Francisco because there's a bunch of traffic, right? Mm. So they bought a milkshake because it was clean, right? It, it wasn't like a bagel or like something you, know, you kind of had to eat and it was messy, right? You can kind right. of just sip on it. Yeah. But also it wasn't like a soda drink where just kind of like you can take five sips and it's gone. It has a thick consistency and it lasts. Um, and it tastes good and it's pretty cheap, right? You can go through the drive through on their commute. And so then they changed their marketing to actually make the consistency thicker and they marketed it in a way that appealed to commuters of like, you know, Hey, grab a milkshake on your way to work or wow. drive through, you'll be in and out for five minutes and milkshake sales finally went up, right? They created kids versions cause that appeased their kids. So once you figure out, you know, what the job is that people are hiring your product for, then it can really help you change the way that you do marketing to better align with how people are wanting to use it, right? And what value they're actually getting out of it. Um, right. And that was one of the really kind of foundational like light bulb moments for me in understanding what marketing actually is. You know, it's not just putting stuff out, it's not just tweeting, it's not just, you know, getting attention, but mm. it's bringing your product into the world in a way that they can receive it and understand it and understand how to use it and how it's gonna add value to their life. Wow. So can you explain your podcast and the tweets that you put out in this context? Of the jobs that people are hiring for? Uh, no, you said that uh, your end game is to understand what the customer wants and then you mm. put that out in front of the customer. Yeah. So how does your tweets, uh, the tweets that you push out, how do they fit into, fit into that model? In the way that I market my own products? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because today I was really thinking about like, what is the mission of swipe files and sort of what is like the overarching theme of what I want to accomplish with it. And it's sort of like, as a part of that, you know, jobs we've done is a really good framework to understand sort of maybe why someone would, you know, how you can serve them essentially, like what's the the intersection between the mission and the job. Right. And then that's sort of the product of what you provide. And for swipe files, it's really for people who are devoted to and, and are consistently wanting to get better at marketing. So my sort of mission is to get rid of mediocre marketing and right. to get rid of kind of blind experimentation and to get rid of like starting from scratch every time. And these were all things that I've experienced and things that I don't like. How that translates sort of jobs people hire that for is to be more 
strategic, right? To uh, not have to start from scratch so they can use a template or they can get the knowledge they need to quickly accelerate themselves into doing their best work. Marketing that they can be proud of and confident in. Confidently being able to craft a plan and stick with it and be able to explain why, right? Right. And so with all the tweaks that I do, I'm just trying to communicate those things. Like this is what you get out of swipe files. The, and who, this is who it's for. One of the other sort of, I wouldn't call it a mental model, it was kind of a mantra. You know, Seth Godin always says, everything that you communicate, you know, kind of levels down into people like us do things like this, right? So what I'm trying to communicate is people like us, which is people who are dedicated to wanting to get better at marketing, Right. I want to stop doing mediocre marketing, want to stop blindly experimenting, et cetera, do things like this. They purchase and invest in educational resources. They learn through example, right? I, I do right. sort of teardowns uh, content. They mm-hmm. connect with other marketers and ask for feedback, right? They're proactive about their, the feedback loop and, and who they, get, they source content from. And so in that way, every tweet that I write, that's sort of like the thing that's going into it. And the, the layer, you know, I guess like the, the lens that I'm seeing the world through with everything that I write and put out there. Right. And you shared this interesting tweet maybe yesterday or a couple of days back that I shared, which was you basically broke down how one can grow their audience. And there were basically three types of people that you should look for, follow, and then help. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, because what I was thinking was, you know, marketing for a lot of times people like way overcomplicate it. It's just like <laughs> it becomes rocket science, you know, yeah. to make people feel smart or, or make people feel dumb so that the, you know, you can sell them something. Well, marketing is not that complicated and really like the end goal, if you think about it, and this is sort of using what I call first principles thinking, which is another sort of like the, the granddaddy of mental models. What I teach in the course right. is when you, when you deconstruct sort of the different people, that you're trying to sort of loop in and what marketing is, is you're trying to get people to what I call your owned platforms. So it's your website, it's your email list, or it's an RSS feed or maybe like a, a text message list. Like basically, you know, no one can say no to you reaching these people, right? You send them an email, you send them a text, they're on your website or to subscribe to your podcast. Like those are the most valuable assets that you have. Now that you also have borrowed platforms. So, Another term maybe could be like rented platforms. Right. So it's all of your social media profiles. It's, you know, your YouTube channel. It's things, you know, where someone could change the algorithm or they could delist you and you don't have any control over that. But that's where you can reach people to mm-hmm. get them onto your own platforms, right? And right. so if you think about it, really, there's sort of like your fans, your customers, your subscribers, and then there's people who follow you, right? These are on the rented platforms and then it's people who don't know you. So yeah. the sort of order of operations that how, how to think about this is that there are people who you don't know and who don't know you. Mm-hmm. And the way that you reach them is through borrowed or rented platforms, through social media, through YouTube, through Google. And then from there, you get them onto your own platforms to get them to become a subscriber or customer or a member, Right. Wow. And now it's a very simple kind of value chain, right? Of, okay, well, people I don't know, I reach them through the bar of platforms and then I get them onto my owned platform. And then I'm sort of trying to build my own audience that way and get more people who don't know me mm. to know me, right? And follow me on a rental platform. 
And I want to get as many people who are on a rented platform or a borrowed platform to get onto a owned platform because that way I have the most control and the most safety there. Right. And you talk a lot about the stair-step approach to bootstrapping. So can you explain what a stair-step approach is? And then you have all these side projects that are at different stages of that staircase, say. So can you explain your side projects along with the uh, stair-step process? Yeah, the stair-step approach is something I think that Rob Walling originally coined. Rob is you know, he's the founder of a few different startups, most notably Drip and now uh, Tiny Seed, which is sort of a remote accelerator for, for bootstrappers. Right. Basically, the idea is that there are different magnitudes and difficulties of businesses. And so if you put it on a spectrum, you have sort of like on the right hand, a really sophisticated, hard businesses, maybe like, you know, technology startups, you have sort of enterprises, you have, you know, hardware startups, like these are sort of like the end game, like this is as difficult and also most rewarding as it gets. On yeah. the other end of the spectrum, we have some really simple things, like maybe it's just a, uh, maybe it's just a blog, or maybe it's just a, you know, drop shipping and e-commerce, so like things that anyone can do, right? And mm-hmm. then in between, there are things like, you know, there are other steps, right? So things like membership sites, or there are, you know, you can produce your own products, Maybe it's like a like a one channel sort of one time sale of a, a software platform. Like maybe it's a you know a simple mobile app, or maybe it's a WordPress a WordPress plugin. So the idea being that you you to get to you don't want to just jump straight to something like SaaS or a hardware startup, right? Yeah, which is really hard and also requires a lot of special kind of knowledge and expertise, right? So you start with something simple and then you graduate your up by, you know, stepping up the stairs and moving from something simple to something more complex. Mm-hmm. So for me, the reason why I kind of latched on to the idea was I've, I've always known that my sort of end game is to get to SaaS and is to get into, you know, recurring software, subscription software. So I started with something like K-Marketers, which was relatively simple. You know, I, I, I basically just threw together something with some no-code tools and then it's very easy to maintain. I have one channel, which is really basically kind of Twitter. And then I, I get people on, on one-time sales, right? And then I kind of graduated more to courses, which were a higher ticket item. And then I had multiple kind of channels. So I had Twitter and then I had email and then I had, you know, different kind of partnerships and sponsorships. But now I'm graduating to Swipe Files, which is a recurring membership. Mm-hmm. And now hopefully my next step will be SaaS. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea kind of revolves back to how can I upgrade my knowledge and expertise through experiencing these different types of businesses mm. to get to where I eventually want to without failing. Right. And and can you talk a little bit about Swipe Files, what that is and uh, how does it help marketers? Yeah, so I started Swipe Files. I originally had the idea, maybe it was about last summer, where, again, it was one of those moments where you know, originally with Hey Marketers, it was, well, why isn't there a job board for marketers? Okay, let's build mm-hmm. a job board for marketers, uh, make it easier. And then for the courses, it was, you know, why is no one talking about the principles and frameworks and mental models? Refactoring growth is why isn't, you know, why is uh, SaaS growth marketing like so mysterious? Like, let me just make this less mysterious. Yeah. So, and then at this, another moment of like, why is it so hard to find like good examples of what to build? Um, and how to do something new, maybe you haven't done before. Hmm. The reason why I thought of it was I was, 
I was planning on launching the affiliate program for Bear Metrics, and I was like, I don't know what what goes on a page to promote the affiliate program. Like, how do you design a page for that? You know, to to get affiliate partners. Right. So then I had to just kind of Google around and like try to look at affiliate programs that I was a part of, and like go find the landing page for that, and sort of pick apart. I was like, man, this is a lot of work. Like, I wish it was just like. Here's a really good example of an affiliate program and why. Or here's a really good example of an event invite email. Or here's a really good example of a webinar invite email. Because I was always starting from scratch, like just having to kind of, you know, it's not that I really want a template, but I just want to know what works and why with a real example. So then in December, I started wanting to play around with it and I wrote down the idea again, I had a little bit more clarity about maybe what that would look like, maybe through kind of some teardowns. And I was fortunate enough uh, to meet this guy, Sako, on Twitter, who basically offered to build the site for free uh, wow. as a part of what we put together as the no-code rumble. Now, I could have done it myself through Webflow. It would have taken me a long time, but he basically did all the work for me for about two months. Wow. And uh, through that, created basically this membership site where it's a library full of content, but a new form of content. Now there's community. But essentially, you know, like I said before, the thought is to provide those examples that are really hard to find, but ultimately help someone not have to start from scratch, not have to reinvent the wheel, learn through example and really be able to do their best work without having to, you know, fiddle around and kind of stumble their way into something that works. Right. Yeah. And I was listening to the last episode of your podcast and you were talking about redoing the landing page of the community. So is the community on the website or is there a Slack or some other channel for the community? Yeah, the community is built on a platform called Circle. And so it's basically, it's on its own subdomain. And right now there there isn't like a page to promote it. Like it's kind of just like a, a secret thing. So I need to build a landing page for it, which yeah. is interesting because, you know, with the the nature of swipe files, there's like kind of like some pressure to like build something really good, you know, because I'm, you know, trying to teach people how to build a good landing page for it. Yeah. But so I'm, I'm trying to be very thoughtful around that and how to do it and do it in a unique way. But yeah, right now the, the, the community is through a platform called Circle and you basically just get an invite when you join as a member. Yeah, you, you seem to know a lot of no-code tools. So uh, when did you start learning them? Yes, I started learning them when I was following Ben Tossel from Product Hunt. Oh, yeah. He had announced that you know he was leaving Product Hunt, he was starting his own thing and he was very much no-code. So he liked, you know, he liked making things, like building, but he didn't know how to program. And then I was one of the first customers for my Nuco, which was which turned into MakerPad. And then when I had this idea for Hey Marketers, I thought like, oh, I think actually Ben created a tutorial of how to make a job board in Webflow. And right. so that's actually what I used to build Hey Marketers. And from there, I was kind of enamored with like, oh my gosh, like I can actually do a lot with this. Like there's a whole bunch of things I can make and it opened up this whole new world of curiosity around being able to build stuff without having to know how to program. Wow, interesting. <laughs> and you you follow a lot of people, you read a lot of books, you listen to a lot of podcasts. So can you give us some examples of great books, podcasts that you sort of consume? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I love all things Seth Godin. So all of his books, especially This Is Marketing, uh, was really fantastic. His blog, his podcast, Akimbo, is probably my favorite podcast of all time. Yeah. The the podcasts I, I listen to the most often now are sort of like the, the Bootstrapper podcast. So there's a whole bunch like 
build your SaaS and bootstrap web, the art of product. I also really like the sort of more life and business podcasts like the Tim Ferriss show, the knowledge project by Shane Parrish. I'm going to, I'm going to forget a whole bunch, but <laughs> those are probably like the, the main ones that I listen to now. And as far as other resources, yeah, I mean, there, there's a few other, I would say probably one that was, has, has been really instrumental for me in my career was forget the funnel by Claire Solanthrop and Gia Laudi. It's mm-hmm. basically now it's a membership site. It used to be kind of like a free workshop thing. And then that, of course, okay. now it's a membership site it works very similarly to swipe files, but they're very much focused on SaaS marketing and helping mm-hmm. SaaS marketers within like in-house roles. But I love that community and that, that resource as well. Right. And you've written in your blog that customer uh, research is basically a competitive ex- uh, advantage. Uh, can you explain that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the one thing that a lot of marketers don't talk about that often. Uh, and I think actually leads to a lot of the mistakes and sort of shortcomings that marketers fall into is there, there's a temptation to just kind of want to be the idea guy and just come up with really cool ideas and strategies and tactics or you know you read something someone else is doing so you try to kind of copy and do that same thing for yourself right and uh, but you're, you're kind of just throwing spaghetti at the wall right so customer research is you know it, it's, it's very baked into the ux ui design kind of process to the development process. But for some reason, marketing hasn't quite latched onto that that much. <laughs> but it can be a competitive advantage because once you really learn you know, who your customers are, how they think, what they care about, where they hang out online, but also you know, basically the ways that you can reach them and resonate with them, communicate them with them in a way that makes sense, then you don't have to throw a spaghetti at the wall. You don't have to you know, experiment and growth hack your way to success. It becomes very obvious, actually, you can just use the words that your customers do on your landing page to describe it. Right. You can hang out in the places they hang out. If, if your customer is on Facebook, don't be on Facebook, right? If they're all in this community, like get, be a part of that community. If they're all subscribing to this newsletter, go sponsor that newsletter. Like the strategies and tactics become very easy and clear. And mm-hmm. then once you really understand how your customers think and who they are, you can even then start to anticipate what's going to work instead of just, again, guessing or reacting. So in that sense, you can be one step ahead of your competition in what the latest thing is, you know, where you can, where you can be, who you're going you're gonna to work with and what kind of things you're going to do for marketing. And then they'll just be kind of copying you because it'll be working, right? So in that case, right. you're, you're one step ahead of them always. Yeah. And see, I'm a kid fresh out of college. So how do you teach copywriting to me? There, there's sort of two ways. One is to just do it and practice it. And so you just sit down and you start brainstorming and say, okay, if I was, you know, if I was this business, how would I write their landing page? Right. Or if I was this email marketer, how would I rewrite this email? Right. And so you just kind of like get your reps in and then kind of do the learning. Yeah. The other one is to basically just copy or mimic. So you look at really good copywriters Mm -hmm. and then you just uh, write down what they write down or, you, you know, look at their style and analyze it and kind of learn through example from them, right? So that's why it's sort of the Boron letters. There's a lot of, you know, good copywriters out there today. Like you, you can see them, but like I love the Beard brand the emails and their copywriting. Mm-hmm. 
Drift was really good at this as well. It was very kind of human, conversational copywriting. But you're just learning through them, right? Why does this work? Let me write this down. Let me rewrite it with them. Let me see how they think about things. So, oh yeah, I mean, I would say it's doing and then it's imitating. Right. And what is different about a great written, copywritten landing page and a mediocre written landing page? Ultimately, I think it comes down to how well you know your customer and and how specific you can be. I mean, a, a mediocre landing page is going to describe it just enough, you know, to kind of be pulled up, but it's, it might not really showcase the value props or the positioning or really use the words that your customers use. A great landing page is always going to use the words and phrases that your customers use. It's going to have a really clear value prop. It's going to be positioned well, which ultimately comes down to, again, the customer research and how well you know your market. Hmm. So it's not really, you know, I couldn't tell you, it's going to depend on who it is, right? And, and what it right. is that you're trying to do. For every industry, there are, there are no like clear-cut rules about what works, what doesn't work, which words to use, which words right. not to use. But it's all about how well can you be aligned with your customer and how they see things. Hmm. And what is your end game with the podcast? In maybe the next five years, where do you see that podcast going? Yeah, I like to just kind of document. And um, for me, it's a good... Like it's intrinsically valuable to me because I'm really bad at like looking backwards and kind of being reflective. And so the podcast is a good kind of forcing function for me to be like, okay, what did I do last week? How did things go? How do I feel? And be a little bit more kind of um, introspective. Externally, I, I'm just a big believer in sort of brand marketing and things that don't scale. And uh, you know what, what, what I kind of describe and call it's um, like reality TV marketing right? Where you're giving people a peek, you know, a little window to look into your life, how you think, who you are, your personality. And so yeah. the podcast is just a really good way for people to connect with me and see, you know, what do I sound like? What am I going through week to week? Right. They see my struggles, my shortcomings, like when I mess up saying a word, right? And it makes me feel more human, which builds a connection that ultimately I think will transfer to anything that I do, whether it's swipe files or the courses, hand marketers, a software product in the future, so ultimately, I'm just trying to kind of loop people into my journey, get them invested into who I am, and then be able to build a connection off of that, right? Then if they know me and I reach out to them, it's like, oh, it's that guy who does the podcast, right? Or I know yeah. Corey or, you know, when I, when I reach out to people for my new podcast or to interview them for Swipe Files, it's never like, who are you? Or like, you know, what do you do again? It's yeah. always like, oh, you know, would love to. Or like, just heard the latest podcast. Like, uh, you know, I, I was expecting a call from you, expecting an email from you. So it also helps with sort of your tight-knit community of friends and connections that you have and just being able to remove one more barrier to be able to connect with them and collaborate with them. Right. I was going through your blog and I was going through your podcast and I was surprised by the sheer amount of content that you produce and again, you have so many different side projects running at the same time. So how do you manage your time? How do you juggle all these different projects together? Man, I, I barely do manage it. But <laughs> most recently, my, my strategy has been Monday, Tuesday are sort of my writing and podcasting days. So basically all things content. Mm-hmm. Wednesday is my meetings and my mentoring and my, my interview days. So I do everything on, on Wednesday and the it all together. Thursday is my consulting day. And so I, that's where I work with, you know, any consulting gigs that I have going at the time. Mm-hmm. And then Friday is sort of my, 
my loose ends, like anything else that I need to do or sort of free for all, you know, it's open-ended, usually more writing or podcast prep or, you know, responding to emails, things like that. And then I'll use weekends, you know, guilty to just do random stuff or experiment <laughs> or maybe catch up on things that I didn't get, didn't get to during the week. But that's, I can't say it works. That's what I've been trying the last uh, week now. It seems to be better than what I was doing before, which is kind of just <laughs> day by day coming up with a new strategy or a new uh, way to kind of block my time off. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about the people you follow on Twitter that are doing great at content? Hmm. One of them that really sticks out for me is David Perel. He has mm-hmm. the North Star, the North Star podcast, a rite of passage course. And I mean, the guy, I mean, talk about prolific, that guy is goals. Like he's, he really is one of the people I look up to. He tweets a lot of really valuable stuff. He puts out amazing content on his blog. Mm-hmm. He has a great interviewer on his podcast and with the course, he's very, very successful with that as well. So I look to him and I model, try to model after him, especially on Twitter because he's very good at it. One of the other people I really like is Shane Parrish, the same guy who does the Knowledge Project podcast and has Farnham Street blog, has a really good sort of mental model thinker, first principle thinker. Right. And sort of same idea with him. Like he just has these really short kind of quippy things that, you know, today I was just reading about the, the theory of relativity and how to use it in life. And I was like, man, this is an amazing thread. Wow. <laughs> the, there's also Jack Butcher of Visualized Value. He's also amazing. He has these, this really kind of unique style and brand that he's built up, which has also been fantastic. And one of the, actually one of the other people I, I really enjoy too is Sam Parr from The Hustle. He also does mm, the My First yeah. Million podcast. Right. And the guy is like so like raw and authentic on Twitter. Like he's just sharing goofy videos and pictures and right. you know, he's not using proper grammar, but he has insane engagement. Like, mm. you know, he's really invested in the, he also has the trends community, but he really connects with people. And I think he's, he's done a great job even looping me in on sort of on who he is and his journey and becoming an avid podcast listener. One of the other ones I listen to pretty regularly. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's people who are prolific, who focus on, you know, what they do best with, you know, what their type of content is, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't really see Jack Butcher talking about, you know, like businessy kind of stuff. It's all design related. It's all sort of, you know, life optimization, life hack kind of stuff. Sam right. is all raw, real authentic, but he's talking about business, you know, yeah. Shane uh, Parrish is, all, is always talking about frameworks, mental models and stories. David Pearl is always talking about writing, right. And they're all really prolific at each one of those. So, Hopefully mm. I can be the, the marketing guy and be prolific. <laughs> yeah, you're on the right track. <laughs> I hope so. And I, I was listening to Tim's, uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast uh, last week and I came across some very good questions and I wondered why I did not ask them. So I'll start with you. <laughs> so, if you had to ch- yeah. so if you had to choose one person who is successful according to you, who would it be and why? I think that I would choose Warren Buffett, which might sound kind of cliche, but not because of his money, but I think just with the way that he's designed his life, the way that he thinks, I mean, same could go with uh, Charlie Munger. Right. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he spends his days like reading like five to six hours out of the day, maybe even more. Right. Yeah. I don't think he has any recurring meetings. He sort of just like calls people up, but he's hired the right people. He's automated everything he possibly can. 
He's removed himself from the business. And now what he spends time on is reading and thinking, making decisions and sort of, you know, being a visionary and he's designed his life. You know, he lives in Omaha. He lives a, a, a modest life, right. even though he's, you know, one of the richest people in the world, <laughs> you know, contrast that with a guy like Jeff Bezos, mm. who I'm pretty sure is in meetings all day, you know, yeah. he's sort of like loved and hated. He's very ambitious. Same thing with Elon Musk. Like, I do not, I would not want to be Elon Musk. Like, the guy is just a workaholic, a work machine. Yeah. Kind of wacky, a little bit all over the place. I love him to death, but mm. I would much rather be like Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger than a Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Yeah. When people first read about Charlie and how he's optimized his day to day routine, they are surprised because you figure out that you, you guess that he must be a very busy person and apparently he's not. <laughs> Not at all. And I think that's the key to being productive actually is to not be busy and have all these, you know, obligations and things that you do all the time, but just to have the time to sit, to think, to marinate, you know, philosophize and make really good decisions. And that's what they practice and train themselves to do really well. Mm. And the other question I have from Tim's podcast is what is the one thing that you're good at that you are not widely known for? I mean, everybody knows you're good at marketing. So that's a good question. I think I'm pretty good at seeing things objectively and sort of taking a step back and not letting my emotions be a part of the decisions I make or how I see the world or even interact with people. My mom sometimes calls calls me uh, Spock because <laughs> not in the way of being like very like robotic, but just like seeing things like very either very black and white or just like kind of speaking the truth whenever it's necessary. Right. And that's coming through in a lot of different conversations around politics, around faith, around career. I'm always kind of looking at things objectively, challenging maybe some of the conventions or status quo, yeah. but also being like, a, you're never going to get a rise out of me. Like, it's very hard to sort of make me, you know, think one way or the other or get me kind of angry. Like, I'm, I think I'm fairly good at being a balanced thinker and, and having a level head. Hmm. And were you always like this as a child or have you trained your mind using some frameworks? Kind of. Yeah. I think that there's definitely some sort of, you know, nature versus nurture for me. That's very much nature. Like I've always been sort of uh, a calm, easy kid, but definitely I think, I think that I've amplified that and I've trained myself to further dig into that through the books that I read, the podcasts I listen to, who I look up to, right. you know, what I study, so it, it can be learned, but I think for me, it was more uh, something I started with and then I've sort of just invested more into. Hmm. And the last point uh, on your blog post about the topics you can talk all day about is what it means to be a man, understanding who you are and leaving a hmm. legacy. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's something that's kind of personally interesting to me. I, unlike some other people, maybe like you know, like I said, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, to me, the business is, is not the end all be all. Like I think it's the most interesting thing to me, but I'm also trying to think about, you know, why am I here on this earth and what am I doing with my life? What does it mean to be a man and to be a husband, to be a leader, to be a father one day, to be a friend to someone, right. To be a mentor to someone else. And so to me, that's something that's just a little bit more, 
most people don't want to face that question of who am I? What does it mean for me to be on here? You know, what, what am I doing with my life? People just usually want to have fun or they want to make a lot of money and sort of be powerful, right? People right. are usually, you know, seeking status or power or in some kind of way. Mm. I, I'm trying to do the opposite of like, a, I want to have a lot of money one day so that I don't need it and I don't have to use it. I would like to have some sort of influence, but not in the sense that I can tell people what to do, but so that I can help them do what they want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's something that's just kind of personally, you know, going on under the surface is helping me kind of guide my decisions and what I do. Yeah. And I usually ask people about their mentors, but I guess you are in a way you're on the other side. You do mentor other people. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So can you talk us, talk to us a little bit about how that has maybe helped you or why do you do that? Yeah. I don't know if I've had like someone directly in my life who's been like a mentor, mentor who's, you know, kind of taking me under, under their wing and, and showing me a bunch of stuff. And most people don't, I think it's sort of a myth most of the time that you need someone like that in your life. It yeah. can definitely help where it can sort of change the trajectory of your life. But if you're already on some kind of trajectory, you don't need a mentor maybe what you need more is really good peers and people around you who can help you and challenge you and you can talk to and, and kind of dig in with. So that's more of, of my strategy is I, I have, you know, really close people in my life who I trust and I come to for advice. And then I have sort of indirect, you know, mentors in the form of people like Seth Godin, right. Who I'm yeah. really studying and I'm trying to learn from and, you know, how would Seth think about this or what would he say or what has he done about this in the past? Mm -hmm. Same thing with Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, you know, Tim Ferriss, like what, what, would, what would be their approach to this? And I think that can be just as effective if you're willing it and able to see through your own lives and shortcomings and really kind of be objective about what they would do or say in, that, in a situation. Wow. This was awesome, Corey. And the last question is, if someone wants to get to know you more, what is the best place to reach out to you and talk to you? Yeah, probably on Twitter. Uh, they follow me, DM me. You can also you know, learn more about swipe files, swipe files.co. And then I have my website has basically everything. It's very simple. You know, it's coreyhands.co has links to all the right things, projects. If you want to go down that rabbit hole of my life, and <laughs> my projects. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this.